futures present themselves to the football world. It's always the way with adversity. People get opportunities, and some make the most of them. I don't regret in any way the decision to come back, as it was yet another case of saying, I will not die wondering. I can't believe how lucky I am to have played for both Essendon and Hawthorne, and how fortunate I am to have stayed for so long as a player in the game I love. I'll never forget the day Kevin Sheedy asked me if I could come back and help him out, six years after letting me go as a 31-year-old hack. Returning to Essendon after six years away was like being in a time warp. The look was different, but the feel was the same. I felt like a kid again as I attempted to train my body and mind for one last year of football at the top level. It was comforting in a lot of ways that the critical people behind any possible successful comeback for me were still there. Sheeds, Doc Reed, Bruce Connor, the club physio, and some old mates in Hurdy, Steve Alessio, Matthew Lloyd, Joe Masiti, Dustin Fletcher, and Mark Mercury. New faces like assistant coach John Quinn, football manager Matthew Drain, and CEO Peter Jackson were also key players in a year when both me and the footy club were putting a bit on the line. The first time I put the red and black on for a training session, I couldn't help but feel a little guilty because of the close identification I had developed with Hawthorne. I had to remind myself constantly that I was helping out some old mates and trying to win a premiership, which was possible, at the very least, given the list at Essendon's disposal. Seeing as how it was most unlikely that Hawthorne would be in need of my services, I reasoned that one year out of my life to attempt every footballer's dream was worth any perceived risk. The size of the challenge was intoxicating, and the chance of finally being an Essendon ruckman for a year was way too attractive. It had been the desire to ruck that led me to Hawthorne in the first place. The irony. Football is a funny game, they say, and it is, but mostly in hindsight. To survive and prosper in any walk of life, there's one ingredient you need above all else, self-belief. Maybe I did compromise my association with Hawthorne by going back to Essendon, and I apologise to those Hawks fans who think so. But when all is said and done, I loved playing football when I was nine years old, and nothing was different when I was 37. Hawthorne changed my life for the better, and for that reason I will always be a Hawthorne man. In fact, not a lot changes in football. It doesn't matter what you do to the bricks and mortar. Clubs are built on the character of those who exist within them. It's people who make football clubs, and Hawthorne and Essendon have some of the best. Having said that, it's time to reveal some of the things that make those people memorable. So sit back with a refreshment in one hand and more fishtails in the other, and join me on another journey into the world of AFL football. Part 1. Footy Trips Pizza End-of-season club trips are very similar to government conferences in that they're always held somewhere far away and slightly exotic. You will never hear of a football team going to, say, Broken Hill or Mount Isa for their end-of-year trip. I've been fortunate enough to go to Numea, Fiji, Bali, Tokyo, England and the USA. One thing all footballers hold sacred about the the end-of-the-season trip is the unwritten law, what happens on the footy trip stays on the footy trip. Actually, now that I've written it, I guess it's not unwritten anymore, is it? One of the reasons it is held sacred is because sometimes things happen on trips that could prove pretty embarrassing if they were ever revealed back home. One such event occurred on my first trip to America, when I found myself in a relatively compromising position with a teammate, 
and it's not what you're thinking. It was way back in 1984 when a hungry Peter Bradbury, a premiership player that year, and I were standing out the front of a San Francisco nightclub at two o'clock in the morning. We decided to catch a cab, thinking a cabbie would know all the good places to eat. We'd both watched enough American television to know how to hail a cab, and Pete strode confidently into the middle of the street and put his arm out. Unfortunately, he'd forgotten to take into account that in the States they drive on the other side of the road, and he was almost run over as cars took evasive action to avoid him. On a positive note, a cab did stop. We jumped in and asked the cabbie to take us somewhere where we could get a good feed, then leaned back to enjoy the ride. We went about 200 metres before he stopped and pointed to a pizza restaurant on our left. There you go, guys. That'll be ten bucks. Just as we'd seen people do on the telly, Pete peeled off a ten-dollar bill, plus a dollar tip, and threw them onto the driver's seat, and we climbed out. Thank you.